You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, talking to the insanely talented Zoe Iwanu, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eero Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live and record, and recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Tori, take it away with the bulletin. In today's bulletin, it is a little bit less of a bulletin and more of an opportunity for us to say thank you. We cannot even begin to put into words what a whirlwind 2021 has been. From half of our team moving into state, going back into lockdown and being inundated with your support, Grateful doesn't even begin to cover how we are feeling. Season two is everything we wanted and more, and that is in huge part thanks to our absolutely generous, genuine, and fabulous guests who gave up their time not only to chat with us, but share their wisdom, trials, and tribulations with you, our listeners. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you to all of our supporters, listeners, and guests from season two. We wouldn't be able to be where we are without all of you. And we cannot wait for you to see what we have in store for season three in 2022. Now, of course, there is some usual bulletin stuff, such as Moulin Rouge is coming to Sydney. Nine to five announced their leading ladies. But we're sure you know all of this by now. So we just wanted to take this opportunity once again to say thank you. We love you. Stay happy, healthy and safe over the Christmas period. And well, I'll shut up now. Back to the episode. Zoe is a graduate from the National Institute of Dramatic Art and most recently appeared in the Bridges of Madison County at the Hayes Theatre Company, playing the role of Carolyn. Prior to this, Zoe performed in the Australian slash international tour of West Side Story as Rosalia, alternating the role of Maria. Before West Side Story, Zoe performed in the Australian tour of The Wizard of Oz, covering the role of Dorothy. Zoe's other credits include Big Fish, The Hayes Theatre and Pepper in Zoe featured on Disney Playhouse and also played the ongoing guest role of Paige in the ABC TV series Dance Academy. She also performed alongside iconic musician James Morrison as a vocal soloist. Other performance in credits include Woolworth's Carols in the Domain, Australian Diving Championships, The Lord Mayor's Picnic, New Year's Eve at High Park and New Year's Eve at the Domain. Zoe was set to play Whiffle in Crybaby at the Sydney Opera House and appear in The Secret garden but sadly saw no curtain rise due to COVID-19 but please welcome to the mic Zoe hello thank you for having me guys thank you so much for coming on how are you you know what I'm pretty good I am pretty good we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID days and I'm feeling really good about it that's good that's such a positive outlook to have I mean, at this point in time, when this episode has come out, hopefully we're long after out of lockdown, theatre is back. But as of right now, we're like a week off of um, restrictions easing. I am counting down the hours, counting down the minutes. (laughs) That is crazy. I'm so excited for you guys. Come on, Sydney, let's get out of lockdown. Also Melbourne, but I don't know when that's happening. (laughs) Yeah, Melbourne is, Melbourne, Melbourne will happen soon, hopefully, but it will, you know, we're... We're just chugging along, trying to get there. I will mention at the beginning of this episode that I do know Zoe. Um, (laughs) We did a show together about eight years ago. 
when we were literal children. Um, literally we did. children. Fame Junior. Um, it was a great time. <laughs> Fame Junior. To a backing track, I think. To the backing track, the smart backing track, because you can't yeah. go wrong with that, but you no. can most certainly go wrong in a lot of other ways. I remember yes. I had the worst wardrobe malfunction on Fame Junior. I no had way. A, yeah, I had a really quick change. I don't know if you remember this, Tori, but I had the biggest quick change and I had like these tights over the top of a leotard and it was like just before my really, really hashtag dramatic scene and I walked on and put my my leotard over my leggings. And like it's cute if like you're a ballerina and you've got like the t- the tights but it was full oh, on yeah. like leggings and it wasn't it wasn't the vibe not even for fame junior and <laughs> and all of the kids on stage were laughing at me and i was trying to be the hashtag young professional that i was trying to be um oh, yeah. and it was the most embarrassing experience of my childhood um <laughs> amateur musical society career and you take it so seriously as well yeah. so seriously it just really affected my dignity more so anything else (laughs) but you know what we kept in character we kept in character we finished the scene we finished the song and we walked off that stage with our head held high doesn't matter all like all the laughs from the audience the children but we got through it and but it's it's actually it's actually scarred me to this day and when I think about it like it's only you know a leotard over a pair of tights like who cares Zoe but for a fourteen-year-old, it was a big deal. So I'm I'm so surprised you remember that. I the only thing I remember is that and I just remember like we had like a cafeteria scene and I had actual like beef stew. It was oh, like goodness. gelatinized beef stew on stage. Like it was real. Like it was. Yeah, it was real. Like you couldn't oh. eat it because it, we used the same thing every night for two weeks. But oh, <laughs> I was gonna say, wow, budget. Getting that? Yeah, yeah. they're going all out for this. <laughs> for the few weeks that it was on? Like, gosh, yeah. if I couldn't eat beef before, like, on stage before my song, like, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> it was a time. It was a time. Those were the days. <laughs> we had the best Supre supplied costumes. It was all oh, the Supre. block. Yeah, all the block um, fluoro colored uh, leg warmers, midriff tops. All like all the sweat headbands. It was a time. <laughs> Isn't that the most exciting thing though? Going to block and getting all those leotards when you're that age. You're like, yes, I'm a professional. Look at me with my cute leotards. <laughs> walking into block is so funny. Like thinking about, yeah, like as a kid walking into how magical block felt, and like yeah. the PZO, and you got all the different types of shoes and the different colored leotards. And I'm like, mom, can I have this leotard? She's like, no, you've already got like five pink ones you're like but it's the new one it's the new block one <laughs> they they're like all of this stuff were really trendy like really cool yeah and like all the cool kids at the dance school had them i'm like i've you know i've, I've got to got to fit in mum. i need yeah. a new pink leotard <laughs> give me the new one new season yeah. see i didn't have that experience until like 21 and going into laduca in new york and i was like I wasn't allowed to have the shoes oh. on and let them touch the wooden floor. Wow. They put a really? they they put a a towel under your feet. Really? And you're not allowed to touch wow. the you're not allowed to touch the floor while you're wearing them. Wow. It was it was really scary. I had that experience. <laughs> it was like That's amazing, cool. but it was so scary. Like they were lovely, but it was like 
measuring my feet, seeing the width of my feet, seeing where my toes sit. Like, wow. don't get me wrong, Block and Capizio, fab, but they don't, they don't treat your feet that way. No, there. absolutely You just kind not. of go in, get your size and you go. They were fitting that glass slipper. They were fitting it. Though my experience oh, yeah. with Laduka was like, hmm, let's just give it a red hot go of, okay, what size would I be in US? Let's just pick mm-hmm. this one. <laughs> you didn't get the like red carpet experience, no, like roll but... out the carpet for me while I walk down. Devastated. Shoes. Devastated. <laughs> I'm going to live vicariously through you, Tori. Hopefully that day will come where they put that little piece of carpet down and I put on that shoe. But um, that day is still yet to come. It will come. It will come. <laughs> for now we'll just rely on Australian Express Post. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <gasps> but obviously, so we've spoken about this already, but we are both in Sydney, so you've been in lockdown. Yes. What yes, have you been doing in lockdown to stay sane? Do you have any like recommendations for us, like movies, TV shows, books, anything that's just mm-hmm. made you not want to cry yourself to sleep at night? That is a brilliant question. Um, I have just finished reading a book by my dear friend Tobias Madden called Anything But Fine, and it is a, a YA novel recently published with Penguin and um, it is about a ballerina who is 16 and he has this really terrible fall and he has to find himself in the real world because he can't dance again. And it is the most beautiful, so well-written novel. And, I mean, I am biased because Tobias is a dear friend, but I could not recommend the book more highly for performers especially. I guess finding yourself and finding um, meaning in your life as a person compared to as a performer, you can really draw parallels. So I couldn't recommend um, anything but fine more highly. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but this felt like the perfect time to let you know that we're doing a giveaway to celebrate the finale of season two by giving away a copy of the fabulous book Zoe has just been talking about, Anything But Fine by Tobias Madden, along with Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid and The Comfort Book by Matt Haig, which are all fabulous books that have been recommended by our phenomenal guests in season two. This is just a small way we wanted to thank you for being here and supporting us throughout season two and into season three. For more info on how to enter, head over to our Instagram at ps.stagedoorpod. Thank you again for being here and back over to you, Zoe. I have been um, getting into some drawing and painting. I used to love in high school, I used to love um, visual arts and I used to do like charcoal and pastels and my school group at school we we all did art together so it was just a ball of fun and during this time I found I found it really beneficial because it is still keeping me creative yet it is nothing to do with my career and my performing my work essentially so it's keeping me creative but there's no judgment and there's no um, connection to work essentially so that's been really keeping me sane Um, and I have just I just finished watching Vigil on, I think it's Binge, uh, Binge yes. or Prime, and that was really scary for me. There are uh, two themes in it, one being in a confined space and two being in the deep blue sea, and they are my worst fears. So it really challenged me as a human being. Um, 
and I just finished it last night. I could not get to sleep and I was lying there <laughs> potentially going to cry myself to sleep. So um, I do recommend it for dramatic effect, but um, it's, yeah. it's a very, it's a very well-written show. I recommend, I recommend it, even though it's definitely challenged me in the best, best yet worst possible ways. <laughs> It's so interesting how those shows, because um, I just finished watching Squid Game yes. and that's very scary. And I'm not like, I usually don't watch those like thriller kind of-esque shows, but I just got so into it. And like, it's funny how you say like the things that scare you the most are like, oh, but this is kind of interesting. <laughs> right? Like one of my other biggest fears connected to the ocean is sharks, but I... Oh, yeah. I love learning about sharks. Like when it's Shark Week, I am there. I am glued to the TV. Oh, yeah. I just find they are such beautiful, fascinating creatures, yet I am so scared of them. Like I probably, this is kind of funny and embarrassing, but I don't go into the ocean past probably my kneecaps. And if I go to my hips, um, that's a really, really good day, but it's challenging my... um, my dignity most definitely but um yeah i'm just so scared (laughs) so scared of the water and the sharks yet anything to do with sharks shark movies i am so there you'll just find you at the pool in summer not at the beach (laughs) i i am in the little kiddies pool happy yeah with my goggles on so i can see what's underneath me and i i'm Um. i'm a happy girl she's a land girl i will be honest she's a land girl (laughs) oh definitely definitely (laughs) there's nothing scarier than just imagining as soon as you said the deep blue sea you just see those pictures of like you see someone's legs in the water and then there's just like nothing underneath that is just my worst fear the idea of what's under there no 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 thank you but anything but fine is uh amazing recommendation we just Mm -hmm. got it that in, at work, I feel like I say this at every episode. I'm a bookseller, um, and so we just got that in at work. I have the proof copy of it sitting in my room, so um, <laughs> that is definitely something that I would love to give a read because I think I agree that's such an important, I think, aspect for especially young people to keep in mind with performing when times like this happen as well, where mm-hmm. theater is shut down and it kind of feels like maybe you won't get to go back learning just about yourself and that there is also more to life because if you are an actor, a performer, anything to do with the arts, it while it is your career, it's more than just that and understanding mm. that you are more than the work that you are a part of and create as well. So I think that's really important. I think that's a top tier recommendation. Yes, I couldn't recommend it more highly. Definitely. And I mean... On the note that you guys obviously were in fame together, that might have something to do with our next question. (laughs) But what brought you into the world of theatre? Were you always doing it from a young age or or how did you come into it? Yeah, so my my grandpa is probably my biggest inspiration. It is his birthday today. He would have been 99. So um, he is one of my greatest inspirations and idols he was a composer a musician and a conductor so he he wrote the music for the incidental music for Doctor Who for over 30 years and he toured around with ballet companies and that's when he met my grandma who is a ballerina so um and my mum's a ballerina as well so I started off 
I guess, dancing. And it wasn't until I was quite a late bloomer. I guess I was around 13, 14 when I started singing and I wanted to do singing lessons. So, but I, I, I would say that my family definitely influenced me in um, and to opening my uh, opportunities within the career that I've chosen. It's pretty amazing that you've able to have that music side, but also the dance side as well to kind of shape you and family members that understand the career that you want to do is um, is something that's kind of rare, but also not rare, but it's a little... It is. I've been, I've been very fortunate and very, and very blessed to have, I guess, that sense of musicality in my family. Mm-hmm. Like we're always listening to music. We're always watching, um, I guess, clips of musicals and ballets and listening to my grandpa's music. And that's been my childhood. And so I guess choosing the career that I have, it was kind of a no-brainer to me. Um, mm. Yet, yeah, so I've just been very fortunate in that sense to have – um, other musos and performers around me. That's amazing. I think it's such a great way to bring you into the world as well. Not in a forceful way, in a very gentle way that everyone is involved mm. in different aspects of the industry. So you get to experience it for yourself and find if you have the same passions for it as as they did. No, definitely. I mean, I got to the age of 14 and ballet was not for me. Like, I... I hated it. <laughs> and my, my, um, <laughs> funnily enough for like performers and my mum owned a dance studio and, but she is like the most chill. Uh, she's not a stage mum in the slightest. She was always so loving and caring and supportive of anything that I chose. When I kind of said, oh, I don't want to do ballet. Like, I kind of don't like it. Like, I want to sing. And she's like, um, okay, let, sure, let's let's find a singing teacher. And she knew nothing about nothing about musicals. Her background was completely ballet and classical. And so I guess having that... Yeah, having that guidance and just that love and support in just such a very chill manner as well, um, it really made me f- uh, discover which area of the arts I wanted to go into. Yeah, which is amazing. And obviously that has led to you doing so many amazing jobs. So we'll start off with West Side Story. Mm-hmm. You had the opportunity to not only perform as Rosalia and Alternating Maria in Australia, but you also travelled internationally with the show how did your experience performing overseas differ from performing in Australia? It's so funny because you would think that it would differ a lot, but because West Side Story is such a timeless and iconic piece, mm. the themes are resonate with anyone around the world. And that's what I soon discovered. I thought it would be a very different experience. And there were some differences. I guess a lot of the book is um, derived like that some little comical moments are very American and Australians get that comedy so there are there are moments where you're expecting a laugh and it was it was a bit weird getting over to Germany and expecting the laughs in the same areas because you just hear a Mm. pin drop when you're kind of like oh, oh no, that didn't land. And it's not as if it didn't land. It's just their their um, their comedy and the way that they understand a script is very different. And then they would, they would laugh in the weirdest spots to Australians, like in the most dramatic, dramatic scene. You just hear a, <laughs> a random person laugh. But 
But hey, like, it's, I mean, you do you, boo, if you, if you find out funny, but, yep. oh yeah. But you know, the, ultimately the, the most important things, they got it. They were, they were so there with us and the culture there, because they're, they have so much love and support for classical and for, for operas, they were the most supportive audiences ever in Germany. And it was so beautiful because obviously we were performing in English and they had the subtitles on the screens, but they just got it. And they were very emotional as well and openly emotional, which us as the performers, we felt we were really getting through to them and we were really making that strong connection. The funniest thing, though, I guess that would differ. Um, This is just like a, a random thing. When we're quick changing and we're running from either side of the stage backstage, um, you just happen to, in Australia, stay on the left-hand side. It's like you're staying in your own lane. So if you're passing someone, you just kind of naturally, like, hug the left-hand side. And we had so many collisions. (laughs) So funny. Because over there, they drive on the right. And so we'd be crashing into people running the opposite way from us when we're trying to when we're trying to quick change and get to the other side of the stage in time. And we had to have a sit down, like a full company meeting. And they were like, okay, we need to make a decision on which which side to run backstage, to, to travel anywhere. And thankfully us Aussies, we won. <laughs> which never happened. Uh- <laughs> but the poor, the poor we had the most amazing crew over there. They were all locals. And um, they, the poor things, they had to like, they had to, oh, no, oh, no, running left, running right. It was the funniest. It was more so uh, a three-act play backstage than it was. <laughs> I'd say that probably one of the biggest differences performing in Australia is actually the backstage traffic. Which I guess is nice to know as well for anyone who does end up um, traveling overseas to do theatre overseas is that it's n- not going to be as big of a change obviously there's always going to be cultural things that are going to be slightly different like you were saying like the way that they understand the humor is very different to how we do because we've also grown up watching a lot of american tv a lot of american movies a majority of our musicals that we see are american based Mm -hmm. um but i guess it would be so nice and comforting to know that it doesn't change too much so it's not as scary going to a completely foreign country and doing a show yeah because ultimately we all feel the same things and we all experience the same emotions. And ultimately, as performers, what we do is we make people feel. And whether they they feel um, comforted or they feel disturbed by a, by a um, certain theme in the show, ultimately our job is to just suspend their disbelief and to make them feel something. And even if it's different from one individual to another, as long as we're doing that, then we're doing our job. And I mean, you've done a range of different shows. So obviously you've done West Side Story, which is a huge show and you toured it internationally, but you've also worked on shows such as Bridges Over Madison County and Big Fish with the Hay City Company. How does that experience differ working on these more intimate shows? Yeah, it's, it's a huge adjustment. I would, I'll be honest there. Um, it's a lot more exposing, ironically, in a smaller intimate theatre I guess the most obvious reason is because there are less people and because we are so close to the audience. Um, I, as a performer, ha- have felt 
the um, the actor's experience is a lot. It feels a lot more personal because you not only can see people's faces, but you can you you can honestly feel if if they're with you or not. And um, I guess just actually just seeing their faces, you can read anything, and you can read too much into it. You can. Um, you can you, you can take away so much from in such a small theater and uh, I guess it's so exposing because and a lot of a lot of shows are, are, are typically large scale and then they're put into these small theaters so because there are less company members you're doing a lot more and um, you're having to you know helps help your cast member do a quick a quick change backstage and then um and then you're, you're quickly jumping onto onto the stage and there's there's a lot more that happens within a small scale show i've i've found from experience and but even though it is so much more challenging in that sense it has actually been one of the most rewarding experiences working in an intimate theater and whether if it whether it's a local production or a show like at the Hayes, um i couldn't recommend it more highly for performers to to experience that sense of intimacy because feeling that exposed, uh, I guess it really helps. Um, it just helps you not only connect to the audience but just make it more personal. You're you're human beings um, in human conversations, just telling a human story, and we can we tend to, I guess. Uh, detached from that from that theory when we're on stage but actually knowing that you're just talking and you've got all these people these humans watching you doing human things it's it just brings you back to that sense of reality of oh we're actually just people in this show even though we we know our scripts we're actually just people like the person in the front row right there and so just feeling that um it's just so much more personal. Yeah, that's ultimately uh, and yet one of the most re- rewarding experiences for an actor. Definitely interesting to see. I saw Big Fish in um, New York a very yep. long time ago now. And then I saw you in it at the Hayes. Um, also, I feel like many years ago now. <laughs> it was really interesting to see the difference because obviously when I saw it in New York, it was in one of the big main stage theatres I believe it was at the August Wilson Theatre um and then I saw it at the Hayes and I knew going into it that it had been um reworked for 12 I want to say 12 it might have been even less I would say I would say approximately 12 I think you're on it there yeah and it was really odd I was not like concerned going into it but I was like how can they take this such a vast production and put it in such a small space and also with you know half the actors because there isn't really a lot of ensemble um Mm. in the production at um the haze but it was so you guys just filled up the space with this story and it was it kind of felt more relatable especially for shows like big fish and i feel like bridges over madison county where it does really feel like you're telling someone's story Mm. um to really feel more connected to the story and to the people telling it on stage. And I can imagine that that's very similar to what you would feel as an actor in such a small space because people are right there. And in theaters like the Hayes, you can see 
you can see everyone in the audience. You can see everyone and everything. And it's it's so funny because with, with the haze, you're either entering from a trap door in the floor or like this small <laughs> little hole in the set or a fire escape yeah. exit. Um, and, you, I mean, when you're working with incredible directors, they make it work. Mm. And it's scary because you're so... Um, you're brought up to know the mechanics of a big musical and how they work and entering from prompt or OP and the wings. And when you don't have wings, it's like, oh, well, how do we make this work? And when you work with amazing mm. directors and you really, you you just, you get the core of, of the, like the meaning of the show and you make it your own, like what Tyron Park did with Big Fish was completely different to the main stage Broadway production and mm. the response was outstanding because we we made it work for such a small space and it was a completely different show completely different and I guess finding that all those differences and how they can still uh still relay the same message was the most rewarding thing it was really beautiful seeing it I think in such a small space and it did feel like it had so much of a heavier impact as well like it really felt so connected mm. um which is great to see that big main stage productions can be compacted into smaller shows with the exact same level of um integrity and story which is so good to see yeah um, and it just proves that you can do anything you know, it doesn't matter the, the, the size or the amount of performers that yeah. you, can, you can, the options are endless from a director's perspective, from a performer's perspective. And so finding those and those um, and being creative in that sense, uh, it's, it's just an incredible feeling. Yeah. And obviously we've talked, we've already talked about it a bunch, but we are currently still dealing with the COVID pandemic. I think a lot of people have struggled in this time with the fact that they're a performer in a pandemic when they can't leave their house, they can't mm. even just interact with other human beings. How have you been keeping yourself motivated during the pandemic and trying not to lose that spark of what makes you want to do what you do? That is, you know, it's, it's been a journey um, to say the least. And you, you just said it so perfectly, like, what we do and what we feed off is connecting with other people. That's our job, to make them feel, to establish relationships with your fellow actor, with the audience, and that's what feeds our souls as a performer. And not having that exposure is really challenging. It, And I'll be honest there, um, I have really grown attached to meditation and mindfulness in this time because so much of what we do as actors is uh, is a mental game and it's studying the brain and how humans work and staying present. Uh, that's really gotten me through um, and just being okay with in this present moment not, not doing my job and, okay, how can I stay creative and stay motivated in other ways? That doesn't necessarily mean singing a scale or doing a dance class. And that's why my visual arts has been uh, my saviour because I've felt 
motivated. I started an art page just on Instagram, just to oh. give me incentive. Yeah, just to just to give me incentive to um, put my creativity out in the world, but not expect yeah. anything in return. And it's yeah. it's more like a journal for me, and it's it's that sense of okay, I'm I'm putting my creativity out there, but I don't expect any outcome. And I guess with performers. Um, it's the most rewarding thing, and what we do is what we love. But when when we're going for jobs, we we do have to we, we're expecting an outcome and a positive outcome. And um, obviously, because it's our job, we we're expecting it for financial reasons um, or just you know just to keep on working. And so, finding a, something different, something creative that's not to do with my job, has been one of the most motivating things. Um, I've also I've also discovered that it's okay not to be motivated some days, and so some days I will do an acting course online, or um, I will I will do a really solid singing singing session, and I'll feel really great and really in tune with with my muscles physically, mentally, and some days I just I couldn't think of anything worse than than to sing a song. And so I think, okay, how can I still remind my brain that I'm a performer, that that's my job? Um, and that could be something as simple as listening to my favourite artist and just listening to their voice and what what inspires me from their voice. Um, so even, yeah, just listening to artists, other artists do what we love and um, finding connection in that. Um, yeah, that's that's been my biggest thing, I would say, is... Um, it's okay not to be motivated some days and to forget, forgive ourselves because we're in a pandemic and um, it, it's okay not to necessarily be doing our work every day. I think that's really a really good outlook to have. And I guess, you know, it is definitely so hard to have that kind of outlook every day. So just finding ways, like you said, to just involve creativity in your life like my savior for lockdown and I don't know how many times I've watched this and I did the same thing last lockdown but I keep watching every little step which is the <laughs> chorus line you know when they uh yeah. did the revival yeah. on Broadway the casting mm. process of that because it just I don't know there's something really lovely and scary and but just remind you of what you're doing obviously in a little bit of a different time yeah and like what we do is it's muscular whether it's physically um or like you know working with your vocal cords working with your muscles for dance um it's a muscle and when you're even auditioning is a muscle that if we're not constantly training that muscle and working it then mentally our we actually second guess oh uh are we good enough? Can we actually still do this? Are we fit enough to do this? And so the simplicity of, um, uh, I've actually um, heard this from a singing teacher called Chris Nolan, um, the simplicity of asking yourself this question every day of, okay, how can I remind my brain that I am a performer and this is my job? How can I do that today? Is it listening to an artist? Is it writing? Is it doing a dance class? Is it just watching your favorite TV show. And it's just that's the simplicity of, of asking your brain, what will remind me that I'm a performer and that's my job. That's some really great, great advice um, for anyone trying to 
keep motivated and as well like just finding those things that do give you that little bit of a boost Mm. um, to make every day a better day and a little bit happier but I guess on a completely different note we're actually going to take a little 360 and play a game (laughs) so today we have another rapid fire question game oh, no. so we're gonna ask you some <laughs> questions <laughs> and nothing too juicy don't worry or just enough juicy I'm not sure <laughs> and um Tori and I will take turns and we'll ask you a question and you're just gonna answer I guess first thing that comes to your mind I'm best at this game at the worst of times I love it I love like it. when someone tells me to do something fast my brain just like goes to sleep. It's like, what? Like, <laughs> Zoe? No, you can't right now. But let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. I guess our first question. Do you want to take it away, Tori? All right. First one. What is the first thing you do when you get to the theater for a show? I do my pin curls straight away. Oh. And I also heat up my heat pack. I love putting a heat pack around my neck. All that neck tension. Yes, all the neck tension. <laughs> it just makes me feel, um, yeah, it just makes me feel really warmed up and ready. Okay, summer or winter? Winter, 100%. Ooh, yeah. I agree. Winter's yep. the best. I'm a winter girl. I don't do summer well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What is your guilty music theatre pleasure? Oh, um, singing in the shower as loud as I can after a show, even if it's like 12 a.m. and I have neighbors. Really? Yep. Because yep. when you're warm, Fantastic. when you're warm, you're ready to go. Oh, yeah. And you and you're in the shower. You've got like the warmth. You've got the the moisture around you. Yeah, I, I've got to stop that. No one's complained thus far, but it's a problem. <sighs> That's good. You have some good neighbors. Like it's hard to not because also like bathrooms just have like the best acoustics, and you right? just feel so comfortable to just like let it rip and just go for it. Right. I mean, we probably should be treating that time as like a cool down, but um, no, <laughs> we're doing a second show. It's the third yeah, show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's belting out her dream roles here. <laughs> this is a bit of a fun one. First celebrity crush. Oh, so embarrassing. Zach Efron. Always. Oh, <laughs> and I love it. You know what, though? Hugh Grant. Really? Oh, loved Hugh Grant. Yep. Yep. Love Actually, all of that. All of, yep. Love Actually, everything British, you name it. Wow. Yep. Oh, I was a Mr. Darcy girl myself. All right. Your dream role. Dream role. Oh, that's so hard. Is it bad that I don't have an answer and I'm a performer? No. No. What is, like, a role that you want to play, though? A role. like? Um, I've always loved, like, Newsies. Um, oh, Kathy. yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Always love, like, the the Phantoms, like Christine. Um, oh. The Les Mises, you know, like Eponine. Mm, was yeah. it? Like, they were always dream roles as a kid. Um, I just love like the, I love the classics. I would say, yeah, I love I love the classic musicals. But I mean, who who doesn't? I feel like even if you're a contemporary music theater fan, you there's there's always a dream role. Always. What is the last show you saw? Last show I saw. That's terrible. What is the last show? Oh, Fangirls. Fangirls. Oh, at the nice. Center. Yeah, I loved it. Right. Yep, just before COVID. 
dream cast, dream show. Beautiful. What role would you come back to again? <gasps> Ooh, um, I would definitely say Maria. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but also Carolyn in Bridges because we didn't get to finish um, the full run because of COVID. I had book tickets I had to see that because Beth. Beth Daly. Oh, um, I desperately wanted to see her in something because, you know, Crybaby, I think. She I is, never got to see her in Crybaby. Like, I'm low-key obsessed with her, but she definitely knows it. I tell her every day. She is one. She is just a role model to any young performer in Australia um, and just a solid human being. Like, if, if she is in a show, I could not recommend, like, her more highly. Just go see her. Go see Beth Daly. She's fantastic. Australian she's icon. also just the best um, singing teacher ever. Like she's yeah. my singing oh my teacher, God. and I send her messages at God knows what hours with like videos of self tapes, and I'm like, "Is this good? <laughs> Please she validate just like, me with your beautiful vocal cords." Yeah, she she just like she. It's like virtually she's giving you a warm hug, you know. Mm. She. She says hi and she melts my heart. She and in Cry Baby, she uh, actually that'd be another role that I would love to play again because we never got to do it. But we, we learned the whole show, and Beth was just so funny. Like I will, I'm a very um, serious performer. Like when some, when there's a little something that goes on stage, I keep I I hold it together. I have to think of my deepest darkest fears and secrets in order to stay in that in that dramatic mode and um but she would just make me corpse like something chronic she was just the she's the funniest funniest actress in australia she is an australian icon and i'm obsessed indeed crybaby has to come back it has to to we need to see the world has to see crybaby it was we are so clever, smart. Mm. It is everything that Australia needs to see right now as well. The relevance of it, um, it's mind-blowing. And it just, what um, Alex, our director, did with the show would constantly, constantly um, just blow me away. And I already knew what was coming. And so I cannot wait when audiences finally get to see it. And I guess our last question, our last rapid fire question is favorite Sondheim musical. <gasps> that is too hard. That is way too hard. I know. You cannot do that to me. <laughs> you cannot do that I to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. <laughs> oh, um, I guess from a young age, Into the Woods was, um, it's a classic. Oh. Um Yes. But just as a young kid, I loved the music. Even before I knew I, or even under, I could even understand it, I just was obsessed. Um, yeah, but that's too hard. You can't pick one. You can't pick one. No, you really can't. It's There's just so many amazing Sondheim musicals. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with Sondheim. And um yeah, we're all very lucky that we get to sing his stuff all the time, although really? difficult at times. <laughs> yes. Most challenging. Although pianists hate us sometimes. I know. Mm-hmm. Never take a Sondheim into an audition, no. they say, but, you know, yeah. you can do what you want. 
And I guess, like, you've been performing from quite a young age. What was it like being a part of Annie when you were... How old were you when you were in Annie? I was... I think I auditioned when I was 13. Um, and oh, wow. I... Yeah, yeah. And then I performed the show when I was 14. Um, so I was in year eight at school. And oh, my god! It was just... I cannot express, like, it was the most magical experience as a child, but also a child that was old enough to understand the stakes and um, what was actually happening. I was, I think, one of the one of the oldest children. And so, and because I was in year eight and I was also figuring out what I wanted to do with my life as well, it was definitely, um, it was definitely the turning point and it was the full stop moment of, okay, this is what I want to do. I, we were so fortunate to, I, I, I got to watch Anthony Warlow, Julie Goodwin, perform every oh. every show and it was just oh um yeah I, I guess the the feeling I can never I'll never forget this quote you'll never remember what someone says to you but you you will always remember how they made you feel and when we walked onto the stage of the Lyric Theatre here in Sydney for the first time for tech and I just stood on that stage this feeling came over me and I just got shivers all down my body I was like this yeah this is it. Mm-hmm. This is lit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is what I want. <laughs> this is what I want. This to is do. what I shall do for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was really, you know, it it actually made me um, develop a great sense of work ethic because I I was in year eight and lots of the kids were you know in year five or six um, and I guess I was um, I was doing a show and getting home at. 11.30 and then I had like a maths exam and I was in high school and because you're then a small fish in a, in a big pond and um, I, I went to um, an out-of-area school so I, it wasn't my primary school mates and I was still finding myself in high school and so I had a sense of, I, I guess I had a lot of responsibilities as a student as well as um, doing a job and it was brought to my attention that what we're doing is not for fun um, the, the show, it's it's our job. We're getting paid to do a job. And even though it was so fun, we it was, um, I guess, keeping that the integrity of the show and it didn't matter how tired you were, you had to push through. Mm. And it was really intense Corey for a child. And the singing, it was a very demanding show for us kids. Um, and so I guess juggling and balancing my student life at school and my performing life which was my work um it really made me develop a strong sense of work ethic and it's very rare as well for like if you think about it I had my first job at 13 but that was like a waitress in a German club like that age of like starting to work is but I just remember how exciting it was as well so I couldn't imagine like getting to actually work in something that is so creative and in tune with what you want to do is is pretty exciting at such a young age. Yeah, it was because I guess all us performers, well, we do it because we love it. And mm. that is what we often forget sometimes, that we are some of the lucky ones in the world because our work is our, our dream. It's our love and our passion. And I guess um, being paid to do that as your job is just an added bonus. But, you know, to actually be able to do your passion every day is so rewarding. And I guess, yeah, as, as a kid, I understood that. And I, I was like, yep, 
this this is what I want to do. And um, it's hard work. It zaps you of all your energy and um, everything possible. But it is this is my love. Speaking of jobs, we actually have a question from one of our listeners, Emily, who would like to know, how do you navigate the short-term nature of the kind of work that we do and balance it with the cost of living? Like, do you have a side hustle or a muggle job, as some people like to call it, that you do when you're not performing in a show? Mm, I I won't lie, and I'll say it's it's hard. You know, it's um, you're lucky to score a 10-month contract, and once you're in that 10-month contract, you're having to audition for... Uh, the shows like for the next year and it's stressful because even though you're literally living the dream you're still having to worry about next year and then the year after and it's this never-ending cycle of always always worrying about the future and Mm -hmm. it it is very hard with because uh, um, for actors we have to stay present and when we're having to try to stay present in that job and that role and having to think about the future is it's really challenging. And I think I've been very fortunate um, to, to teach, to singing teach um, in my downtime and, and in between gigs. That's been my, my side hustle and muggle job. And I've got a beautiful <laughs> bunch of kids from, um, from my mom's dance school that whenever I come back, I'm very fortunate that they want to continue uh, learning from me and I find teaching very rewarding because, again, you're, you're getting to teach your passion. So um, I would say for any performer, keeping connected with, like, your full-time uh, colleagues because if you have a Facebook page and if someone else is doing a show and they can't continue their teaching, um, they, like, I know that my class, they often post it on our, our messenger group and they say, oh, is anyone free for the next few months to take over my teaching at this dance studio? And so staying connected with other artists, performers, um, people from full time from uni, because having those connections, everyone needs to help each other. And that's the biggest thing in this industry. We are all we're all there for one another and we have to be because it is hard and in between gigs is hard. And also if you have to get a gig that is not to do with the arts, don't feel like you're failing. Now, for the first time last year, just after COVID, first round of COVID, I experienced my first proper muggle job because teaching, even though um, it's it's still a, a muggle job, I had still to do with performing and I, um, I was just about to start cry baby, but I still had a few months to spare and job seeker payments were decreasing. And my partner actually said to me, I was fine. Uh, I was fine financially, but I felt like I needed purpose in life. I felt like I needed Mm -hmm. to, to do, to do something and to actually earn my money. Um, and just having that sense of importance that I'm doing something and giving back to the community, to our world. And he said, find a job that isn't, don't, don't do any more teaching because you're still doing that. Find something that is not to do with the arts. And I experienced my first retail job in my life and I'm oh, wow. 24 and I I've been very fortunate to uh, to yet yeah, to teach and to not have a proper muggle job, 
um, until the age of 24. But I chose to take it because I um, I wanted to experience a sense of normality and a sense of purpose, um, not as a performer. And so I guess when if you have to find a job in between gigs, know that it's you're not failing and it's okay because it doesn't matter if you're not performing, you're still giving back to the world and giving back to our community and um, connecting with people. Something that a lot of creative people and people in the art do is obviously, you know, we all teach singing or dancing or acting. And it is so great because you still get to have that be part of your life, whether it's while you're doing a show or in between shows, but it is okay to pick up whatever work you can. I think if you can find something that you do enjoy doing, like I find myself very lucky that I am a massive book nerd and I get to work as a bookseller, um, as my muggle job, which is something that I really love and still have a passion for. So I think if you can find something that not only pays the bills, but you also do enjoy doing and you get some sort of fulfillment out of, it just makes it all the, all the better. Exactly. And, you know, as actors, what do we do? We study people constantly and working in a retail job may it, I, 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 chose to see it as an opportunity to still study what I do and the characters that walked into the store I I could honestly I could write a three-act play about it I guess I guess Muppets as well there it is so it is so incredible when you actually see the situation and you you see what you can actually get out of it and um and gain from it uh, it was the it was um very much character building I would say, and it made me very grateful for the arts and for artists. And it just, it was an opportunity for me to study people. That is incredible. And I guess on that on that kind of note, what are some of the changes that you want to see in the arts, not just in Australia, but abroad? And how do you think that we can achieve this? I think I would love for people to be kinder to one another. And to be kinder to ourselves, we're expected to be robots and to be able to do everything, and be perfectionists, and um, nail every audition, and get every job. And if COVID has taught us performers one thing, it's actually we're not our job, and we are human beings in a human world, and that's that's okay. And we don't have to be perfect at everything. There's this sense of um, yes and attitude amongst performers that we have to say yes to everything. And we don't have to, if we don't enjoy a show, we don't have to go for it just because I guess you, you need it for job's sake. And that's fair enough, fair enough if you need it for financially. But if you're not connected to a show, that's okay. You don't have to go to, to that audition and you can still pay the bills in other ways and you can still be fulfilled um, in life outside of your work I think kindness to ourselves is really important and something that a lot of actors don't prioritize I would also I guess I'd love to see in Australia specifically um, I guess uh, greater love for theater and education we're very much uh, I guess like a sporting country which is amazing Um, but it's a very small pool of people the general public that come to see shows and um it would just be amazing 
to educate a greater group of the general public to see shows because, I mean, there are so many amazing Australian works that are coming out, things like Fangirls, that um, it was so refreshing actually. When I went to Fangirls, 50% of the audience were school children on school excursions Mm. and they chose the whether it was English or drama they chose to uh, go for an excursion to see Fangirls and Musical I would love to see more of that and not just from some of the private schools I guess also just the public system as well because I know that I went to a private school and we did get that that opportunity but um, that's not always afforded to some of the public schools in Australia. So it'd be good to see that as well. Yeah, definitely. And theatre is expensive. It, it is expensive. And I guess if, um, if it can be, become more available to like public schools and to a, a wider, a greater group of the general public, it would be incredible. Everyone in the theatre world would love is for it to be more accessible and more widely viewed because I feel like we I make this comparison all the time of my time in New York the amount of shows that I could go and see because of the amount of interest there is Mm. from the general public to see theatre you know you could see works that have been written that day you could see you know classic theatre anything all the shows it's within their culture and it's that love and respect yeah like what they have in America so I feel like we're, you know, we are expanding and we're developing in Australia and I guess the calibre of performers as well and the, the amount of amazing performers that come out of the full-time courses every, every year. And it would just be really lovely to, I guess, have more shows and more theatre because there are so many amazing performers here in Australia and the more shows we can get out there, whether it be in the smaller, more intimate theatres or on the, the the large scale in the large scale theatres, the the more theatre we we put out there, then the more exposure we'll get. Well, we have almost come to the end of our episode for today, and I actually completely forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show. This is our last episode for this year, so for season two. Um, so uh, you are our last guest for 2021. And oh of course, God. if you guys want to keep up with Zoe and follow Zoe and what she's doing with her life and the um, amazing performing that she does, you can follow her Instagram, which is just Zoe Iwanu. That's so much. Literally <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the ticket approval. Um, it's... Literally just her full name, and we will link it down below. Um, But before we end the last episode for season two, we have a little segment called Bedtime Stories, Mm -hmm. which is a show mishap, which we've already already spoken about one, but show mishap, costume malfunction, anything like that. Do you have a bedtime story for us? I've had from moments like in The Wizard of Oz when we're doing the Emerald City scene, uh, we all had fans. And ever since this moment, I'm petrified whenever I'm given a prop on a stage I'm like I just I lose my sense of ability to hold things without it like slipping out of my fingers and we would we just started and I was upstage very much upstage center and we were in this big clump and I was at the back and then when we when we flicked our fans open mine just went flying to the front corner of um prompt side and uh on the net 
just above the orchestra. And that was, uh, it was there for the rest of the show. And I had no fan for the rest of the show. And I, I also threw my dignity onto that net. <laughs> was- I'm surprised there wasn't that. Sometimes I, I remember um, a ball going out of the stage one time and hitting, hitting the keyboard and playing like the circle of life or something yeah. that was already pre-played. So like, thank God there, there was a net there. <laughs> so funny. There's, there are so, so many little things um, in, in uh, America, in West Side Story. I, um, I went through this phase. I'm a, I love my tea any type of tea, especially before a show. I mean, what singer doesn't? And I was getting into turmeric tea, like great anti-inflammatory, like great for your health. It was just a great taste and I loved it. And so I I sculled this turmeric tea just before America. And it's where Chloe Zool and I were kind of like debating and bantering. And the first moment when the lights just go, right bam when they all sing i like to be in america and i turn to chloe and i give this expression and she just turns at that moment boom and then she just her face she just looked into my mouth and my whole like my tongue was bright yellow like (laughs) this is what i didn't know and i was just petrified for the rest of the the song i was like is there like a spider on me or something like what is going on and then all the other girls were just kind of giggling and when like they have to be picking on me like they're all picking on me in this moment but it was for real and i had no idea what was going on and i walked off and i looked in the mirror and my mouth was yellow (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't very flattering well you know now that turmeric tea Turns your mouth yellow. Yeah. Guys, don't do it. Don't do it. Post-show <laughs> ritual, not a pre-show. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. What an absolute pleasure and such a great way to finish the season. Um, and uh, we can't wait to see what you do next and when you get out of COVID and... Hopefully, hopefully. Um, no, yeah, I just, I can't wait for Thea to be back and I'm very very grateful to be your final show for the year tori and eliza thank you for having me thank you so much for taking the time to come on but you guys that's it for 2021 this is really weird um but we hope that everyone has a happy healthy and safe rest of your year and we look forward to seeing you in season three in 2022 uh but stay happy healthy and safe and we will see you then Bye. bye Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.